Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 586 with Nicholas Bloom. Nick is talking about some insights from his largest ever experiment on working from home and some of those implications for us now when there's a whole lot of working from home going on. So you'll learn one, four key findings from the largest study on working from home, two, what the ideal work from home week looks like, and three, why this isn't the end of the office. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to as we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F586 and you can enjoy those resources right there. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, you might check out the Gold Nugget email list, which gives summary insights from Nick and all the guests who've gone before him in a quick email. You can read in under three minutes and access to the vault of all of those summary insights from every guest ever. So that's pretty cool. That's called the Gold Nuggets. Now, here is Nick's story. Nick Bloom is a professor of economics at Stanford University and a co-director of the Productivity, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship Program at the National Bureau of Economic Research. His research focuses on management practices and uncertainty. He previously worked at the UK Treasury and McKinsey & Company. His work has been covered in a range of media, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, BBC, Economist, and Financial Times. On the personal side, he is English, living with his Scottish wife and American kids, a multilingual English household on Stanford's campus. Big thanks to Nick for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com here is Nick. Nick, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, I am delighted to get into your wisdom in the world of working from home. And I understand that when you're working from home, one issue that presents itself frequently is the bagpipe playing in the house. What's the story here? Well, you know, before this podcast started, it was delayed by about five or 10 minutes, as uh, Peter and I know from just trying to ask my my oldest son was practicing the bagpipes next door. My wife uh, is, is Scottish. In fact, my, my mother is Scottish too. So there's quite a lot of bagpipe activity going on in our house. And it's just unbelievably noisy. And in fact, you know, have, you may think it's romantic when you hear it outside, you know, the Tower of London or something or uh, Edinburgh Castle. But when it's in your house and it's over and over again, the same song <laughs> being played repeatedly with like a different mistake each time. 
So, uh, yeah, and, you know, I live out in California, and it's a wood-build house because the earthquake risk, which, but unfortunately has no sound installation. So I think it's not just me that's tortured by the bagpipes. I think most of my neighbors on the street can <laughs> hear the same thing. <laughs> but, you know, it does highlight, I think we'll come on to it, but the challenges of working from home right now with uh, kids in the house. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. I think that the bagpipes, I'm thinking about an episode of Better Call Saul in which he was trying to get himself fired. And one of the things he did was play the bagpipes in the law office and it contributed <laughs> so, <laughs> to getting fired. So that's a little take home message for being awesome at your job is um, be careful about playing the bagpipes in the office. If that was an issue for anybody, that's covered. Well, we're talking about working from home. You did quite the study on working from home. I, I'd like it if we started there and then we fast forward to the current situation where there's a lot of working from home going on. It's a little bit different. So could you tell us the tale of your C-trip study? Yes. And I should say, actually, for anyone listening that has an intransigent manager uh, or maybe you know other, other partners in your business that are anti-working from home, you should feel free to forward on the TEDx talk that I gave that's on the uh, on YouTube that I, I received many emails from people that say, you know, my manager, she didn't believe working from home and I sent her. So I'll tell you the story and it's really, this is a summary of the video. So um, back in 2010, I, uh, I teach in Stanford University. I'm a professor there and I had someone at the back of my class who turned out quite amazingly uh, to be the co-founder of a huge Chinese multinational, C-Trip. Uh, it's listed on NASDAQ, it's worth about $15 billion. The guy was called James Liang. And he basically founded this company and, you know, he was uh, he was worth almost a billion dollars at this point. And he decided to kind of step back and uh, become the chairman and take a PhD. But C-Trip had this big challenge, which is they're in Shanghai, the headquarters, and they were growing very fast, but they were struggling to uh, keep up with office space. So as they grew, they didn't want to have to spend huge amounts of money on very expensive Shanghai office space. So working with them, he set up what's called a randomized control trial on working from home. So Quite explicitly, they ask a thousand people in the firm who wanted to work from home four out of five days a week. Five hundred of them signed up, which is already you know indicative that five hundred people did not want to work from home. Mm -hmm. But so sticking with the five hundred that did, they then formally randomized them home to the office over the next nine months. So James on TV in front of a huge crowd uh, pulled a ping pong ball out of an urn and it said even. And everyone with an even birthday, so if you're born on the 2nd, 4th, 6th, 8th, etc., 10th of the month, worked from home for the next nine months. And if you're odd, so, you know, like me, I'm the 5th of May, you stayed in the office. And it was a way to scientifically evaluate the impact of working from home on these employees. Mm -hmm. Well, intriguing. So, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty thorough as, as far as exploring <laughs> this phenomenon goes. I mean, it's better than an office of eight people said, hey, let's give this a shot for a few weeks and see how it goes. No, no, we've got some randomization. We've got a large sample size. Tell us what happened. So, I mean, yes, on thorough, I, I mean, as far as I'm aware, it's still to date the only large-scale scientific evaluation of this. My father actually does drugs testing. So it's very much modeled on the way you would test a drug before you you know, roll it out formally. The Federal Drug Administration requires formal randomized control trials. So what did we find? We found, you know, four key things. The first was, the first was quite amazingly, um, working from home significantly improved performance. So performance of home-based workers went up by 13%, which is huge. That's like almost an extra day a week, completely against what C-Trip expected. 
Now, in C-Trip, this is a travel agency. Yep. And how are you measuring performance in that context? It's a great question. They are people that are, they're not professionals in the sense that they're not managers. They're people that are making telephone calls, uh, making bookings. So in that, that sense, it's very easy to measure performance because you can look at the number of calls and bookings and actually have quality metrics. Okay. The downside we'll come on to hopefully later in the podcast is, of course, they're not creating new content. And so working from home is more challenging for that. But in terms of executing, we had amazing performance data. And so in terms of basically quality or total phone calls, since the quality was unchanged and total bookings, that was up 13%, which you know is huge. And then you ask, where did this improvement come from? Well, um, of the 13%, about a quarter, so three and a half percent, came from the fact they were just more productive per minute. Uh, and, you know, we did a lot of interviews and focus groups, and, you know, the stories they would tell us is, look, it's just quieter at home. And the, the story that resonated with me in particular is this woman that said, um, you know, in the office, uh, in the cubicle next door to me, the woman, she, like, clips her toenails mm. uh, in the office, and it's disgusting. Every day? How much toenail you got? <laughs> I think maybe a weekly or bi-weekly. She has obviously very finely clipped toenails. And the woman said, she thinks I don't notice, but, you know, I tell you I notice. I see her picking up that clipper and putting it below the desk. Or, or there's a cake in the breakout room or World Cup sweepstakes. So, yeah, it's um, for anyone, you know, for I'm sure, you know, everyone listening has plenty of experiences of why it's noisy in the office. And uh, believe it or not, on average, people are actually focusing better at home. So a quarter of them just cranked out more work in the same per minute. Yep, they were more efficient. So that's a quarter of it. And then you're like, well, what is the other three quarter uplift? So the majority is they're actually working more minutes. So I should be clear for this group, it's not that they use their commute time because they're actually on shift workers. So it's supposed to be nine to five Monday to Friday. What you see is in the office, they don't actually start work at nine. They often start work at, you know, nine, 10 because the bus is late or the motorcycle breaks down or they take long lunch breaks. They take long tea breaks. They even take longer to go to the toilet. So just quite practically at home, the toilet's in the room next door. In the office, you've got to walk a long distance. Mm -hmm. And so that explains about half of the uplift. So they're working, they're basically working more minutes per day. They're working their full shift. And then the remaining quarter is they're working more days because they take less sick leave. And again, when you when we interviewed people, they'd say, you know, often I wasn't that sick when I took that day off. I just wasn't sure. I didn't want to come in and suddenly get worse. But when I, you know, when I was working from home now, I actually just kept going. And sometimes mm. they'd say, you know, by lunchtime it got worse. And so I stopped and other times I worked the day. Or there are other stories we heard about. They say things like, you know, I wasn't sick at all, but I needed to have the cable repair guy came. come. So I had, to, I took a day off. Mm. Uh, so collectively, performance was math, just massively up. 13% is a huge increase. So that was fact one. Uh, fact two, again, very positive, was quit rates are halved. So for C-Trip, quit rates and churn is a huge problem. They had a 50% of their staff leave every year. So for anyone that's listening, there's, you know, ever recruited or trained somebody, you know how painful that process is. So they then turn around and nine months later leave. So their quit rate went from 50% down to 25% from home-based workers. And, you know, the reason was, again, they just said, we're happier. They, they on average, liked working from home. The third finding, which is the one negative piece, is promotion rates also dropped. They dropped to almost half. So that's kind of worrying. And in fact, we interviewed them and three different drivers came out. One was the most of the obvious, you know, the most worrying is that out of sight, out of mind. I'm at home. My manager's forgotten about me. Uh, you know, I've been passed over. A second version of that was we heard it more from managers, actually. They said, look, 
you know, you kind of got to be in the office uh, to some extent to pick up on the office culture, to know what's going on, to know what your colleagues are doing, to understand the strategy. And so that time that may feel like it's wasted chatting and lunch and coffee is actually some of it's quite valuable and it's an input into management. And then the third possible story we heard a bit, you know, the least of all was occasionally people would tell us, look, I actually turned down being promoted because I didn't want to come back into the office. I so enjoyed working <laughs> from home. I uh, turned it down. But tips for people, full-time working from home or four out of five days a week, if the rest of the office is in the office, you know, in COVID, everyone's at home. So we're all on equal footing. But if you're the only person full-time working from home, I think there is some risk of being passed over for a promotion. And then... I should say the final finding, which again is very relevant to policy, was at the end of the nine-month experiment, Ctrip was incredibly happy. So profits went up by $2,000 per person per year. And so they were like, this is great. So they rolled it out to the whole company. But they also let everyone involved in the experiment to re-optimize. So all these people had decided to work from home or not. They'd been randomized. Basically, a year later, they said, well, look, it's worked, but you can choose. Don't change your mind every other day. But you know, you can change your mind. And it turned out around 60% of people actually changed their mind. There's a huge number of people who previously wanted to be at work from home who'd told us, look, it's get got very lonely, it gets very isolating, or they fell victim to one of the three great enemies of working from home, which are the, the fridge, the bed, and the, the television. They came back into the office and other people said, oh, I actually saw my colleagues work quite well at home and I'd like to instead come in you know, move home myself. So there's enormous churn. And what you saw in the data was when you let people choose, the performance uplift from working from home went up to over 20%. And what's going on is people that tried it out and it didn't work that well came back into the office and people that tried it out and it really did work, they could deal with the loneliness and isolation and perform well, they stuck at home. So, you know, the final lesson is choice really matters. There's, I mean, I'll mean, talk about it later. I've been running a lot of surveys currently under COVID on people's preferences and working from home. And there is a huge variation. So younger, uh, younger people without kids tend to want to go in the office most days. Older people with kids tend to want to work from home most days. Very few people want to do all at home or all in the office. Mm -hmm. And people often change their minds. They just don't know how they're going to you know, like it. So choice is really important. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for giving us the rundown and that's interesting, that expression, the grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. It's like, the grass is greener 60% of the time <laughs> on the other side of the hill, according to this study. And that's really striking in terms of, yes, I mean, we're in a bit of a different context now. Not as many people looking to have the evidence to make the pitch <laughs> to be allowed to work from home. But tuck this away, you know, for when the time comes and you want more of it, uh, we've got those evidence points. So let's fast forward to here now today. Choice isn't so much something that's working to our advantage anymore. Many of us are in a place where it's like, that is the only option is uh, you will be working from home, you know, in the midst of the pandemic. So tell us what's the latest you're finding with your surveys and how we're dealing and how maybe we can deal better. Sure. So, you know, right now it's just a total change from before. So working from home, I think there's really three phases and we're in the middle phase. So there was before COVID, and before COVID, around 5% of working days were full-time at home. So that's pretty rare. In fact, only 15% of Americans even ever worked from home. So most people didn't get to ever even have a single day working from home. So, you know, 15% of us did, and, you know, on average, we were spending one and three days at home. So pretty unusual. If you look at who was doing it, it's pretty balanced by gender and age, but it tended to be graduates, basically managers, professionals, graduate jobs. 
now under COVID, uh, you know, as as everyone can appreciate, it's very different. Now, 40% of working days are at home. So there's an eightfold increase. In fact, if you look at the other 60% of the labor force, they're roughly equally split between people working on business premises and those that are not working. So actually, hmm. more than half of people are currently working, actually working from home. So the US economy is like a working from home economy. But it's very, very challenging. It's not a great scenario. So, you know, there are four big challenges right now. There's kids. I have four kids myself. And as we discussed earlier, you know, they're playing instruments. My youngest, who's four, she keeps bursting into the room. Uh, that's hard. You know, that's really hard. Um, facilities. I'm actually in a spare room, so I'm kind of lucky. I'm in the, you know, the minority of Americans that have their own private room that isn't their bedroom. But uh, in survey data, 51% of people are basically sharing rooms or in a bedroom. Um, or, you know, another two thirds of people have great internet. The remaining third have problems with the internet. So facilities are a big issue. The third issue right now is choice. So basically, anyone working from home, we didn't get the choice. The bit, the office just closed and we were sent home. And it turns out that's a big issue because a lot of people really don't like working from home. And then the final challenge right now is we're doing it full time, which before COVID was really rare. So only 2% of people ever work from home full time. Now it's 40%. It's very isolating. You know, interestingly enough, in China, in the C-Trip experience, the period you're in now, which is about three months in, was actually the best period. It's when people were the happiest. They were kind of in, it was like the euphoric honeymoon period. So I, I've, I've been talking to dozens of firms and, you know, individuals over the last two, three months, because I basically spent about most of my life, you know, most of my time working on working from home. Most, you know, firms are generally very positive, but I fear it's going to wane a little bit as we roll on. So that's now, you know, very broad, spread, widespread, but it's not great. The, the sweet spot is looking ahead. So right now, it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned store the, the evidence away on working from home. Right now, actually, a number of companies are thinking quite seriously about the long term. So now, three months in, there's major decisions. And you probably noticed like Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft, Amazon have all made public statements about their long-run plans. And what's by far the most common thing, which actually looks fantastic, is most firms have said, you know, working from home works really great. We're very happy with it. And we're going to extend it out even beyond the pandemic. And we are likely to let people do it part-time. So you know, the typical person may get to work in the office Monday, Wednesday, Friday, be at home Tuesday, Thursday, which for many people is the best of both worlds. You you save a couple of days on commute, uh, a bit less hassle, you get peace and quiet, but you see your colleagues throughout five days a week. Yeah. And that's kind of my sense. I mean, I, I've been working from home for about a decade <laughs> in, in my uh, run of my business here. And I do get lonely at times and would like colleagues at times and have been tempted to pay for co-working space <laughs> just to see people. And, um, but then I, I, when I really comes down to it, it's like, oh man, but then I got a commute out there <laughs> and I can't, they don't have a napping space <laughs> right, right there. So anyway, I loved your view while you mentioned it, I guess choice matters and people have different perspectives. Is there an optimal with regard to the days one day, two days, consecutive, non-consecutive? It's a great question. So I'll give you three broad tips and then I'll drill into the one that you want to hear most about. So the three broad tips I've been telling firms repeating, I think it's becoming like a consensus. Every firm I talk to kind of affirms the same view. So the first is part-time. Uh, I have lots of survey data. I won't go through it in details, but basically most people want to work from home something like one to three days a week. Very Only 20% of people want to work from home full-time. Only 25% of people want to be in the office full-time. So the vast majority of us 
what a mix. So, uh, yeah, so I'll come back to that in, in a minute. But so the first thing is part time. The second thing is make it optional. So I would strongly advise against forcing anything on anyone. You're probably going to have to have some mandatory days in the office. I wouldn't probably let in the long run anyone be at home five days a week. But you may say, look, you can do anything from two to five days a week in the office. And, you know, how you split it is your choice. And then finally, um, I think it uh, is a perk, not an entitlement, which which means if people goof off, you give them a warning. Mm-hmm. And if they goof off again, you haul them back into the office. So those are the three key tips. On the first, coming back to the number of days, their broad advice is something like um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the office, Tuesday, Thursday at home, uh, and the whole team does it. So the reasons for that are, firstly, the whole team is in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So if you want to have a client meeting or a lunch or a presentation or you know some kind of training event, you know everyone's going to be there. And if you're taking that Tuesday and Thursday off at home, you don't feel like you're missing out. So I think it's important to coordinate. I also, you know, to your question, which days, I would avoid having the whole team at home on Monday or Friday. It tends to generate the extended weekend. And in fact, I'd also try and avoid them being consecutive days. So Tuesday, Thursday is kind of the best two days because you're in the office every other day. So if something comes up, you can easily say, hey, let's talk about it in person tomorrow. Let's have a meeting tomorrow. So that's the probably most likely scenario I see firms gravitating towards Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the office. Everyone does that. Tuesdays, Thursdays, it's really a personal choice. And I guess maybe Wednesdays potentially, but I would avoid actually what was common before the pandemic, having Friday the working from home day. It's not really ideal. And it, you know, before COVID, the big challenge of working from home is the stigma. The, the whole thing of working from home, shirking from home, that's basically gone. You're right. But, you know, even so, working from home on Friday is not kind of the best message. It's if you're going to take one day off, you know, take a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. Mm-hmm. So you think that um, there's a higher probability of the shirking actually happening when it's on a Friday or a Monday? Yes. And also the perception isn't as good. So, you know, if you're a manager, it's hard, you know, perceptions, reality kind of merge one into another. But I really want to encourage working from home in an adult way. I mean, very few jobs are basically evaluated. There are two ways to evaluate someone's performance. There's what's called inputs and outputs. And, you know, mature graduate types of jobs, I, you know, I assume pretty much all your listeners are based, you want to be evaluated in outputs, what you do. And what you don't want to be evaluated as inputs. I want to, you know, I, I'm assessed on the fact that I sit at my desk and look at a computer screen all day. That's not really great. I want to be treated as an adult and left to kind of get on with stuff and plan my own work. And, you know, as part of that, I have to build trust. And one of the things is trying to avoid things that, you know, maybe look a bit suspicious. So I would work from home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It, there's no real, it's very hard to argue for a Friday, uh, except for the fact that, <laughs> It's next to the weekend and it makes it easier to go away for long weekends. And that just is not a good signal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so now I'd love to get your take on when we are in this environment where like it or not, working from home is what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) What are your top do's and don'ts for helping us do some great output as well as, you know, be recognized and promoted and all those good things? I came to the realization about three, four weeks ago, this is going to be the long haul. So just to explain Stanford University, my employer, has just announced that effectively all online teaching, and it looks like all conferences and seminars, sorry, all teaching and conferences and seminars are going to be online probably till next summer. Uh, it's not certain, but you know, I see us going, we're going to be in this for another year or so. And for me at that point, it became clear 
it was worth thinking about the logistics of working from home. And so I went out and spent, you know, $150 on a better microphone, $150. I was going to say, when you booked this, you didn't have that. And now you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're spending hours every day and the, uh, our laptops are not designed for this. I, I actually dropped my main laptop on my old spare one. but You mean just ergonomically like your hands and your neck and your where you're looking yeah exactly it's like you know the working from home version of a nice suit except it's cheaper i mean 300 dollars is cheaper than a nice suit and a pair of shoes so i would totally buy a uh, webcam and microphone i would also uh do a trial run on um how you look on the camera i just i i had this i was actually doing a tv interview and the woman on the uh the reporter said you know your glasses are reflecting yeah and Thank it turned you. out, I didn't realize that, and I've been fiddling around with this, but it turned out having a light source, you know, you're always told to look out the window so the light is shining onto your face rather than you're like some dark, shadowy silhouette. Mm-hmm. But there is a second thing. So that's, you know, number one, always you want to have the light behind the uh, camera so it lights you up. But the second thing is trying to avoid it literally being directly behind the camera because then it reflects into your glasses back into the camera. So mm-hmm. weirdly enough, you can't see because I'm on a podcast, but... I'm actually looking at a window, but I put a cardboard screen that blocks like right behind the laptop and I put lights to either side. Oh. So I, you know, I probably <laughs> spent four or five hours a day on uh, video. And I, in some sense, again, it's recreating a personal touch. You want people to see your eyes. So if you're wearing glasses, it's, you know, I don't want to have to wear contact. Like, oh, you, you know, he's, Peter's just taken off his, uh, his glasses. He's giving me very romantic looks over, uh, <laughs> uh, over our video connection. But I actually, you know, got a couple of lamps. Um, another thing I did is I tried, I put up a couple of pictures behind me, you know, there's two ways to go. I've noticed on video calls. One is to have a reasonable looking background, in which case you want, you know, I basically had a messy room beforehand. This was a spare room. There's just a pile of junk in the background. You need, so I put up some pictures and tidied it up. The alternative is to have a plane, like a white wall, or you can buy or just before the call looking, mm-hmm. you know, online or on Amazon or anything. You can buy what's called a green screen, just hang it up. That actually works much better for having one of those uh, image backgrounds, say on Zoom, because the Zoom can't finds it hard to tell it's you versus a picture of you against a cluttered background. Mm-hmm. So that's another key thing. You know, there's a bunch of other more minor tips for teams, which is one of the downsides that comes up a lot on working from home is the lack of casual conversation. So in particular, walking in and out of meetings. I used to, you know, I personally just noticed that I missed the lunches and coffees. Also, even just in meetings, the first couple of minutes, I'd turn to colleagues and water cooler discussion. It's hard to perfectly recreate that, but the people have done this best. I've been trying to do this in my own research group is to set up a time each week to talk to each you know, member of my research group. I do it for like 20 minutes. And we, it's a very deliberate, regular one-on-one time. I've heard other managers, you know, one manager talking to you said, look, I speak to every member of my team for five minutes uh, at the beginning of each day just to check in on them. And if I need more time, I spend more time. And the upside about doing this online is it's very easy to just have a scheduling tool, like you know, Google Sheets. And you just say, write your name, and you just sign the names up, and they fill up. And because it's online, it's easy to be punctual. And then in meetings, I actually, my weekly meeting, uh, rather than have an hour discussion on work, we basically have 45 minutes. In the first 50 minutes, we go around the group of 12 of us, and each person's, you know, talks briefly about something non-work-wise, like, you know, Cody. So he's been telling me about his garden, and Annika has been telling me about he's been doing puzzles, puzzles, and you know, Bea's been telling me a, 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 about you know a Netflix show she's been watching, and you know, it kind of brings it to life. Um, 
I wouldn't say it's perfect, but I think we need to be more deliberate about fostering some sort of discussion casually. The final thing I've heard about is it's important just to be more scheduled and organized. So particularly with kids at home right now, you have to think about, it's not just you, but also many people in your teams are having struggles with spouses and rotors over who looks after kids. So it's useful to have regular schedules. So, you know, you have someone in your team, uh, their husband, and they have two young kids. It's much better for her if she knows that she's going to be working, you know, nine till 12 and she can be more relaxed in the afternoon. So actually being more organized because there are more conflicts from our time for those with young kids is, is a final tip. And I've heard that discussed a lot. And in fact, in particular, avoiding sprawl of uh, meetings and emails that can easily extend out. The fact we're at home doesn't mean, you know, we can easily, we're happy to have a meeting at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. We should try and stick to the working day. Mm-hmm. All right. That's an excellent lineup. I'd love to hear, is there anything that we, I guess I asked for do's and don'ts. I heard a lot of great do's. So there's some don'ts in terms of like you see a mistake appear again and again and again, or there is sort of a hidden risk or peril or danger that uh, folks don't know that they are overlooking. For example, you mentioned, I think that's a great example there with the water cooler type talk, those informal bits of conversation, like they can just disappear if you're not sort of mindful and thoughtful and planful to get them in there. Is there anything else that you think people are overlooking? I mean, a bigger thing is don't get rid of the office. So I've had so many senior managers say, hey, this is the end of the office, or you know, we're gonna we're gonna shrink our office down. Just to go through the economics of this, now, I've written it down. If anyone in particular fears that, you know, their boss is thinking of closing the office, the points to think about is one, right now we're really in the euphoric phase. As I mentioned, three months is exactly the wrong time to be uh, you know, deciding office closes. It's like planning your life after the first date. You're incredibly happy, but you haven't seen <laughs> you know, all you know the bad stuff. So I would wait in China in C-Trip, we saw three months was literally the peak. So it's literally the worst time to be evaluating long run. And in fact, from talking to firms, there are some major upsides about in-person meetings. The first is creativity. It actually turns out it's much harder to be creative remotely. The second is just inspiration. You know, it's hard to remain motivated and inspired sitting in our bedroom. And finally, there's an issue of loyalty. I think if we're at home month in, month out, we feel a weaker connection to your firm. So I really think we do want to be in the office two or three days a week. Um, now, you might think, well, we can shrink the office now. We're only in it three days a week. Uh, even if we're on the same days, maybe you need less space per person. But I have to remember, social distancing has actually dramatically increased the square footage per person. Yeah. So the firms I've been talking to are talking about two to three times space per person. So you know, I've just finished a survey around a thousand firms in the US. The forecasts are actually for a slight increase in demand in square footage of office space. So sure, we're going to spend less days per week in the office, probably something like 15% less days, I estimate, but we maybe need something like 50% more space per person. So I think getting rid of the office would be a huge mistake right now. Um, it's really would limit your firm's ability to you know, obviously go back to part-time in, in person. It would cause problems with loyalty. It causes all kinds of issues. The other mistake, well, you know, the other piece of advice, I guess, is, you know, location is going to remain as it is. There's huge evidence to show we are shifting pretty ra radically out of skyscrapers into industrial parks. So skyscrapers have a huge issue, which is one is mass transit. How do you get to the front door? And the second is elevators. How do you get, how do you get from the front door up to your uh, desk? So if you think about, 
you know, a normal high rise, you can get, it takes something like two to three square feet of space to put one person in a crushed elevator. You know, you, you basically, if you think of a person, they're about a foot by, you know, two foot. Uh, if we need six feet distance between us and the next person, that's a circle of radius six foot. That's about a hundred square feet. So that makes elevators just completely infeasible. So from firms I've been talking to, there's an enormous charge to think, oh, you know, we need all this space. What are we going to do? We're going to think about moving out into industrial parks, maybe taking over, you know, old leases of, of shops that have gone bankrupt, maybe gyms that are closed down, et cetera. So if you're involved in that side of the office, you know, the mistake would be to shutter the office. The advice is to think about actually where you want to be when you return to work six, nine months from now. And I think it could well be an industrial park where you can drive to and walk up a couple of stairs to get to your desk. That's handy. Thanks. Well, now can you share with us a few of your favorite things? Let's start with a favorite quote. What's something you find inspiring? I heard a great quote the other day from Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, who had exactly the same thought I was thinking, which is he said, you know, the thing I really miss in the office is those two minutes at the beginning and the two minutes at the end of every meeting when I get to turn to the person next to be chat, chat to them and see how you're doing. I feel the same thing. It's, you know, it's not the meeting itself. It's the before and after I miss the personal interaction. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? It's hard to think of an individual, you know, sticking with the topic of working from home. Upwork had a great survey came out recently showing how 90% of firms are actually very surprised that they're you know, very positive about working from home. Um, I, you know, I, as I mentioned, I just caution about swinging from one extreme to the other. Uh, you know, it feels a bit like if you have kids, you know, how kids just, you know, they go so extreme. They're like, particularly young kids, my four-year-old goes from like unbelievably happy to minutes later in tears and floods, you know, it feels like that's a bit like the journey of working from home. So now we're all in, we're loving it. Uh, I think that's great. There's lots of evidence on that. I would caution on loving it too much. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite book? You know, I saw this in preparation for the uh, podcast. I have to say, embarrassingly, I don't really read books that much. I, you know, devour the media. Uh, I read a lot. You know, if you talk about media, I talk about the BBC. I read the New York Times, such as the Wall Street Journal. I love the BBC. You can hear from my accent, I'm a Brit, <laughs> but it feels a bit more impartial to me. And it has my, uh, it keeps track of my sport, my Tottenham Hotspurs, my UK football <laughs> team. But you know, it's odd. I, I don't know what it is, but I don't really read books anymore, I'm afraid. I know that is not the correct answer to give, but I guess it's the honest answer. Oh, no. Well, I mean, you shared favorite things you read, and uh, we'll take it. <laughs> and how about yeah, a favorite tool? Right now, I am really excited, as nerdy and lame as it seems, by uh, my new webcam. It looks good. My old laptop had this kind of grainy, cruddy picture. It had got damaged, and uh, I wasn't quite as bad. I have a hall of shame, just as a kind of running joke with <laughs> my colleagues and grad students of what you know there's a guy that has webcam so bad he looks like some kind of ghost from harry potter <laughs> i wasn't quite there but i was so excited just to finally get a clean crisp image i always wondered how other people did it i thought they just looked clean and crisp but maybe that's part of the story but i think they also have better technology a better tool well now we gotta know do you know the make the model yeah it's a uh, logi and if i look it was about 180 dollars. i noticed it's now sold out it was something like a cd 920 maybe what it was called logitech yeah CD logitech. 920 ish yeah i think it was a cd 920 high definition uh, i also the microphone is a blue yeti that's right yeah that's about 140 dollars. both of them i searched around online and there was a bunch of reviews the blue yeti was reviewed by something in the wall street journal as the best mic there's actually um that was it. The uh, they interviewed a sound guy that did the voices for the new Avengers stuff and mm -hmm. various other uh, 
movies and he said look this is the best cheap you know serious microphone out there i agree that the blue yeti is excellent so long as it's not a, an empty echoey room and yours is working for you and uh how about a favorite habit i picked up a lockdown habit which is juggling a soccer ball football as i call it so uh my 11 year old daughter plays in a soccer team and she's being told by a coach because they're not playing anymore because of lockdown to try and juggle like keep you up easy and i keep the ball kicking it in the air so i've been Picking up, I couldn't do that at all. I have to say until about four months ago, but I can do like a hundred, which is as a very therapeutic because you were entirely concentrating on it. You know, there's no email, no phones, no kids actually. Uh, because everyone knows to, you know, avoid dad where he's uh obsessively juggling the soccer ball. But I quite like it. I wouldn't say it was high exercise, but it's you know, after 20 minutes of it, I feel refreshed and energized. So it's kind of if I if I've had too many Zoom meetings in a row and I have a half hour break, I may go out into the garden. It's a bit of fresh air. May go out and try and juggle a soccer ball and, uh, you know, something like that, something kind of uh, absorbing. Mo I used to find mowing the lawn was similar. I don't have a very big lawn, but, mm. I, you know, no one would come near me because you've got this large, heavy piece of equipment mm -hmm. making huge amounts of noise. <laughs> so there's no phone, no email, no children, you know. But, yeah, that's my favorite hobby right now. All right. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? It resonates with people and they quote it back to you a lot? You know, I have become the working from home guy just because the TEDx talk, coming back to the beginning of the podcast is very pro working from home. And so it's useful if you have a manager that's skeptical mm -hmm. uh, or an owner that says, ah, as soon as the pandemic's over, we're going back to full-time in the office. And because of that, I'm kind of known for being pro working from home. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? To my website. The easiest thing to do is just to type Nicholas Bloom into Google and it just come up. It should come up as the top hit. I'm at Stanford University. So if you type Nick Bloom Stanford, it will come up. Mm -hmm. And do you have any challenges or calls to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I think just stick with it in the sense that I think working from home is going to be here for a long time. So just the realization we're in the long haul and investing in equipment, investing in setting things up in your schedule. You know, we can make this work uh, as society is actually part of the fight against COVID. One of the most effective and important things is we can work from home because the economy can keep going while we socially isolate. And it does need Everyone, I guess, to uh, give it their best shots and, you know, help other people in your firm do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Well, next has been a treat. Uh, I wish you lots of luck and all your adventures. Okay, Peter, thanks very much for having me on the show. I really like Nick's point about choice. Even though it might not be fully actionable right now, you may very well be stuck working from home, whether you want to or not. I think that is a meta lesson in a lot of these best practices that we discuss is that a practice may very well be better overall on average for a population. But when you introduce choice, the effects get even better because within that average, there's some people who are actually worse off <laughs> doing it and other people who are better off. And with choice, you can get the goods without the bads. And I think that's well worth thinking as a bit of a lens to reflect on every piece of wisdom, advice, best practice, insight that we've discussed here is like, hmm, does that work for all people universally? Or is that working well for some and detracting for others? And I got to make my choice in terms of whether I'm going to adopt that practice. And fortunately, with 586 episodes, we got a lot of practices to choose from, but you can be very choosy in terms of which of the few really will make a world of impact for you. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP586. 
And if you haven't already, I do recommend you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest automatically. It's Chris Marie Campbell, and she is talking about the beauty of conflict. Maybe you don't see it that way. Well, she may very well reshape how you view it. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.